This is Shane Gibson's podcast from ClosingBigger.net. Today is my rant day. I was trying to figure out what topic I was going to talk about because as you know, I am doing 30 podcasts in 30 days. This is day four and I'm not running out of content, but I had a whole bunch of thoughts and a couple things that were bugging me. So you know what? I'm just going to rant today. I hope uh, for those of you who are my regular listeners looking for actionable items, I apologize, but you're going to get to listen to me rant today. So here's my rant. I've got a couple things I'll talk about. I'm going to talk about the the crap that's put on uh, infographics that they call statistics, much of it taken out of context uh, to paint a picture that really isn't real. Uh, the second thing I'm going to talk about uh, is customer service statistics, which is tied closely to that because of the example and really why customers don't come back and the role social media plays in that. And thirdly, I'm going to talk a little bit about a recent blog post that became very popular, talking, calling uh, many people in the social media industry, quote-unquote, social media douchebags. Uh, and Mr. Peter Shankman, who wrote the blog post, who, by the way, owns a social media agency, uh, also said that all social media experts should burn in hell or burn to death. I can't remember. I try to blank that part of my mind. So I'm going to come in in defense of social media douchebags a little bit here <laughs> near the end of our show. So let's talk about infographics first. What is an infographic? Is a visual representation presentation of a series of in-depth statistics, systems, or process, I guess is the best way I can think of describing it. So for instance, if you want to look at uh, the something as complex as Google's cloud computing uh, services and how everything runs from the cloud, uh, they could have inf- visual inf- representation of the whole flow of work, of the servers, of statistically what type of information is shared there, connections, individuals working on it. And that's a very complex concept, but they would present it neatly with little pie charts and diagrams and cute little characters and numbers and brief paragraphs describing in-depth concepts, and they present it all in a very nice, scrollable, typically tower format to fit on a blog format. Now, this is great. The only challenge with this is as you present statistics, and uh, Jeremiah Al Yang from Altimeter Research uh, recently tweeted, uh, and I love the tweet, and I do agree with it, that infographics are becoming, uh, are, the, are really the white papers of today and the white papers of the future. People don't want to read 22-page white papers, but a nice visual infographic presenting all the information in one place is a fantastic idea, except for one thing. That little pie chart with that stat on it, where that stat came from, had some in-depth information on what that stat really means, and now all we're looking at is a little pie chart. And beside it uh, is a little flow chart describing several steps from another study, which isn't related to that pie chart, uh, which really is implying that those stats work together, but then it might come from a completely different uh, focus group, uh, from a different study, and from a different context. So what we have is these all these stats and beautiful visuals pulled together, but if you dug down into the footnotes of where the stats came from and read those studies, you'd often get a very different picture than the one that infographic artist is painting themselves. So why do I share this? I think be really wary of just taking these inform- this information at first glance as truth or gospel in social media or any industry or any political analysis. Uh, it's a great initial visual to show you what's going on. It's a great supporting document, but it doesn't replace education educating yourself on what the heck is happening out there in the marketplace. Now, a good example was I saw a recent statistic from a major infographic producer. You can dig it up and find it yourself. Uh, but And I it made me immediately 
question every other infographic they've done because this is such an offside stat. Here's a stat. We've all heard it. You've probably sat in marketing classes. You've heard authors and gurus and marketing and customer service. Uh, I've seen people from actually my father, Bill Gibson. Uh, he was using that stat until I pointed it out. Uh, Zig Ziglar, Brian Tracy, all my favorites. Many of them got these stats from a source they thought was accurate, but later on, what's been found now two decades later as this wasn't really real. And the stat was that 68% of all people don't come back to a place of business because of indifferent attitude of staff and management. These stats have been attributed to a couple organizations. One of them has been the American Management Association. The other one is the Franklin Institute. Now, I use these stats in an interview I did with BC Business Magazine a few years back. And their fact checker, and thank God for this, question me on this. They said, where do you get these stats? We cannot find a really relevant source. We went to Franklin Institute, and in fact, they said they didn't do that study. So I got on the internet, and I started searching, and most people attributed that study uh, to the American Management Association. Some people even wrote down fictitious organizations like the American Dental Hygienist Association and things like that, which when I started looking for it, I found that either the association didn't exist or they had no research arm. So I dug and dug and dug, and finally all places, uh, from the American Management Association to the Franklin Institute to these consultants online to these bloggers, eventually led back to the originator, apparent originator of the study, John Goodman, the founder of TARP Research and the original, who did the original Coca-Cola loyalty study. So I called TARP Research because I just needed to find out this, the information on these stats so we could use these great stats in my article because I could see that 68% of the time people don't come back. It's because the attitude of your staff and management stinks. This makes sense to me. It also works really well for us standing on the stage as motivational, inspirational speaker service types uh, telling you what you need to do, that it's all in your head, this customer service stuff. It's all about making your staff smile, be nice, and be engaged. So... I called his office, uh, his organization, and the frontline staff did not have an answer for me. So they quickly, without putting me on hold, which is an interesting customer service experience, pushed me up to middle management, then to key research people, and they didn't have the answer either, and it went right to Mr. Goodman, literally on the phone. This goes several years back. And I said to him, here's the study. So, you know, I, I've heard you, but this has been attributed to you from the American Management Association, the Franklin Institute, to, to, to the Brian Tracy's of the world. They all say that, you know, basically these stats came from you. And he said, this is complete fallacy. These stats aren't real. There was no study done. Somebody along the way attributed this to me well before the Internet was popular, and we managed to stomp it out, at least we thought. And then as the web got more popular and more bloggers came online, this thing grew like wildfire. 68% of the time people don't come back to a place of business is not because of the indifferent attitude of staff and management. After 20 years of studying customer service, and now I think it's been 28 years or so that TARP Research has been around, Mr. Goodman, the author of Strategic Customer Service, shared these stats with me a few years back on the phone. And here's what he said, depending upon the organization and the industry. 20% of the time people don't come back to a place of business. It is indifferent attitude of staff and management. In other words, four to five times people go and go to work, they do their job, uh, and they're committed to actually delivering good service with a good attitude. Uh, 20% of the time, yeah, you get someone on an off day or you get someone in management who just is removed from customers and won't change policy, for instance. Now then, he said 40 to 60% of the time, it's unmet marketing promises, bad business processes, and systemic inefficiencies. That's why people don't come back. 
And then 20 to 40% of the time, this is interesting, it's actually your fault as a customer. Why? Misunderstanding or unrealistic expectations. You go into the Apple store, you buy yourself that MacBook Air, and then you realize that it doesn't have the horsepower you needed to produce all that great video stuff you see in the commercials because, you know what, you needed a MacBook Pro. But guess what? It's a self-prescribing customer who's now pissed off at Apple, ticked off at their local dealer, and it's because they self-prescribed something that really was a misunderstanding or unrealistic, unrealistic expectations of that product or service. So here's the great news is as an organization, you have control over almost all of these things. So yeah, the attitude of staff and management, that 20% still can be worked on by having a more engaging workplace, by having management more in tune and more connected with what on the pulse of your stakeholder groups, your customers. And then unmet marketing promises. This is where social media comes in. This is where social media is this big love and we go out and we talk to customers and we engage and we have great dialogue. When they complain, we say, hey, we can fix that. And then we send them back into the call centers. Yes, I'm talking to you, Rogers Communication, Rogers AT&T in Canada. You send them back into the call center where the problem started. So until you fix the problem, which is your call center, or in this case, Rogers Communications customer service policies, for instance, it doesn't matter how nice you are on Twitter. In fact, you could be making it worse by inflating people's low expectations of you as a business and then throwing them back into that old hierarchy that really lacks any true customer service strategy or engagement process. Uh, So really, from a social perspective, this is also the, and I count this as my industry, this is me, this is the authors who write these great books on social media and engagement and customer service, and then you meet them in person, they're less than engaging, they're less than authentic, they're not that great personality we found in the books or on their blog or in their podcast. So walk your talk. And if there's challenges with your business, you could be great in marketing, great in service, have great management, but if your manufacturing processes suck, if your distribution processes are horrible, you'll also lose customers. So that 40 to 60% uh, is not the easiest thing to fix, but it is, it is something you can remedy over time and reduce that customer attrition. And customer error and customer misunderstanding or unrealistic expectations, how do you fix that? Make sure you sit down with the customer. You assess their needs. You prescribe solutions that work for them. Uh, If they've got high, unrealistic expectations of your product or service, you might want to need to almost unsell them, to take it away from them, to help them realize that what it will and won't do for them. And that's some of the things we can do to fix that problem. So there's some interesting thoughts on infographics. Be careful of the stats. Number one, check the source. That could be pretty infographics, but have completely useless stats, like these customer service stats I had found. Um, in addition to this, uh, I think it's really important from a customer service perspective to realize that you know attitude is nice and engagement is nice, but meeting those marketing promises, having good business processes, and fixing your systemic inefficiencies, which is something we all work on a regular basis, is key and manage those customer expectations. Now, lastly, uh, I know I've kind of gone on a fair bit here, but let's talk about this blog post by Mr. Shankman, who, again, happens to own his own social media agency, is, is seen as an innovator in the social media space. At least that's what his bio says. Um, and he's done some good things. And, and I'm not here to criticize him. Uh, but his blog post, which basically lambasted and, and attacked almost any social media consultant out there, 
uh, you know, accusing them of really spreading lies and, and misinformation and, and being completely incompetent as a blanket statement is really dangerous, negative. And I guess I'd say this to start off with anything is in any industry. I look at how his approach to raising his profile is to put down other people in his industry, the same industry he makes money off of. That's interesting. Then I compare that to Guy Kawasaki. Guy Kawasaki, how does he raise his profile? He does all kinds of great community-focused things. He writes incredible blog posts that people actually learn from and can grow from. Uh, he writes great books, best-selling books, and he delivers engaging and enchanting speeches, which really, really change people's lives and businesses for the better. Wow, what a difference. So on one side, you can step on the little guy, and, and you know some of them you know, rightfully might be uh, ignorant uh, of their ignorance and be, they're giving advice that might not be greatest thing for their clients, but does, does that really going to help anybody's brand by putting them down? Uh, and so I guess, now with that said, what was he talking about? He was talking about the fact that there's a bunch of people out there selling the concept that social media is the silver bullet, which it isn't. Uh, but it's not what he stated, which is just another part of your integrated marketing strategy. Yes, social media integrates with marketing, but social media is a communication tool. It's not just a marketing tool. Social media is a tool that is used to help communities self-organize through tools like Meetup. Uh, through major incidents like the Egypt Revolution, that is an example of social media helping people self-organize. That's not a marketing tool. That is a communications tool. That is a community building tool. And in fact, social media has changed the way consumers research, interact, collaborate, and buy. And has also changed, and this is through a Google and Forbes Insights study done in 2009, states that slightly over half, 52% of senior executives actually go to search and eventually end up in social doing their research around buyers. So even senior decision makers use these tools to research and engage. So when we talk about social media just being a tool, be careful. It has changed and it it changed the way people buy, research, and collaborate and equipped the customer to be smarter than we are historically. They've got a lot more data on us and our customers than we have on them. So I guess w why this rant is number one is social media is not just part of our marketing plan. It is part of our overall communications and helping socialize our business because our customer base and our marketplace is now socialized. Number two, uh, yes, buyer beware. There are, you know, back to the Apple example is there are, you know, I don't know, 30 Apple stores here in Vancouver. Uh, and I know depending upon the store I walk in, there's Apple experts and there's Apple morons. I hate to say it. There's guys out there who have been hired uh, who have some knowledge of the tools but will sell you the wrong machine or you come back to fix it and they don't really know how to help you with the challenge you have. And then there's Apple experts. There's people who really understand the products, the tools, understand business users and can really help you. With with those products. So it's not fair to just label all people who work at Apple stores as morons because you've had a bad experience or there's a few bad apples or half of them are bad apples. It doesn't matter. The key is buyer beware, know what you want, understand your marketplace, do some background checks on those people helping you in social media and don't take it at face value, just like those beautiful infographics that you see out there. But on the other side, I don't think it's fair uh, and I don't think it's right to be established as a social media expert, guru, agency owner, Okay, marketing expert, and the way you build your profile and get blog traffic is by stepping on and insulting the smaller players in the marketplace. I think that's bad form and a long-term going on a business model. So those are my thoughts. I would say play fair, 
do your research, uh, work on those systemic inefficiencies, which are the biggest areas of loss in your business, not attitude, believe it or not, uh, and really get out there and remember, and this is most of all just a message uh, for those in sales, uh, those using social media and those in leadership, is leadership, sales, and marketing is now a conversation. And social media tools are tools that can help equip you to have those conversations. This is Shane Gibson's podcast from ClosingBigger.net. If you're looking for a speaker for your next conference on social media, social media sales strategy, or social CRM, you can email me, shane, at socialized.me. If you're looking for an organization to help you come in and help develop an in-depth strategy uh, on socializing your organization, really building it as a communications tool and integrating to what you do, you can also email me, shane, at socialized.me, or you can tweet me, at Shane Gibson.